This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. I want to welcome you to another episode of things that Jace is not an expert in this morning. Um, even when I'm walking up here, I'm thinking, good grief, I'm talking on marriage this morning. It's just not a subject that I'm comfortable with. Um, there's just a lot of things in there that, you know, we don't talk about commonly and, and uh, certainly things that uh, are in God's Word that we need to cover. The subject that was given to me was marriage, um, but I've changed that to godly marriage because anyone can do marriage. You know, you can find yourself falling into a marriage after a night out of drinking or whatever else. We've heard those stories of that happens to people. But you don't just fall into a godly marriage. That takes work. That takes commitment. And so we want to talk a little bit this morning about godly marriage. I go back several years, uh, and I had a co-worker, and she had just gone through a divorce. And her divorce was very open. It was very public because of the profession that her husband had and some things that he had done, and it had been in the news, and it was terrible. Well, her son was getting married that very month. And so someone that had a common faith with me, she came to me and she said, Hey, I guess you know this individual. Her son's getting married. They don't even know if his dad's going to be allowed to attend the, to, uh, the wedding. Could you go with her? Now, I said I would do that not even thinking about what that meant. If you go to, the, go to the wedding with the mother, then that means you're up front and center. I was thinking I was sitting in the crowd. And there I was on the front pew in this situation. Now, I'm glad I was able to, lead, to lend a shoulder to her. You know, we were friends. We were co-workers. We worked together. And she was in a bad situation, and I was happy to do that. But as I watched just the actions that happened during that, that time, the night before when they went through the rehearsal and those types of things, you could just see that there were things missing in this situation. This was not a God-centered marriage. It just wasn't. And there are things that we'll talk about this morning that were not there. There were no characteristics of a godly marriage. And unfortunately, three months later, just three months, that marriage folded. We had one of those marriages here that just wasn't a godly marriage. It seemed like a, something that seemed like a good idea at the time. And you know, when we think about this, this is exactly why the elders here see it fit for us to talk about these things. They wouldn't wish that on anyone, much less the people of this congregation. So we have to talk about these things. We have to talk openly about these things. I don't do this because I want to beat up on any class or any individual or, or talk about things that are uncomfortable to people. But there's a reason that the leadership chose to do these things and to talk on these things. And if we look at the, the arrangement that God intended, God's design for the family, we see there we start as children... We're married, we, we could become parents, and we become grandparents. And that cycle is intended to be repeated over and over and over. And this is what we'll talk about this morning. 
In Psalms 127 and 1, this is sort of a common verse that we're sort of building this on. It says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You know, except the Lord build the house. That's what we're talking about, having a Christ-centered marriage. It's built on something. It's built on something stable. It's not just some fly-by-night idea. These things, these characteristics should be present in our marriages. And when they are, then they're secure and they're built the way that they were intended to be. And if it's not, we labor in vain. Those marriages can't stand the test of time when they're not centered on Christ. So we'll begin by looking at the institution of marriage. In Genesis 2 and 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. You know, God in all his goodness, he looked down and he saw, after everything was created, you had man there. And I don't know what happened with Adam. I don't know what made God look at him and say, You need a woman. You need a wife. But he said, It is not good that he's alone. And so he gave him Eve. In Genesis 20 through verses through 24, just excuse me, Genesis 2, 20 through 24, and Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found an helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh is my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So after Adam names all of the animals, the very last, he was given a wife. And we know it says from the previous verse that he was given a good thing. God and Adam recognized at the very beginning that the two should become one. And we see that idea repeated over and over, that the two become one. So in the final verse here, it was written about Adam and Eve. They had no parents. You know, we're told to leave, and leave our parents and cleave to our spouses. But they didn't have that. It was just them. But the idea was still there that they would become one flesh. You know, it's written to everyone else to come that they would leave and cleave. And that's a phrase that we're familiar with. We hear that used. We're supposed to leave and cleave. And sometimes that's referring to the fact that we need to cut those apron strings. You know, sometimes we, we as men, you know, we love our moms. We don't want to give up our mom. But we're to go and we're to cleave to our spouse, to our wife. And those decisions and those actions should be taken, should be involved in our marriage rather than at that point as an adult involving our parents. The relationship between parents and children should then be changed. And I think this is an important point. It does, it's not the fact that we stop loving our parents. It's the fact that we should grow as adults. That relationship should change from them telling us what to do, from them making our decisions for us, we should make those together as a, within our marriage. Continuing on, we find that God made them male and female. 
In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, it says, And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So we come to the part in the the lesson that you probably knew was coming. The idea now that gay marriage is, is an open thing, it's something that God approves of. Yet we see here that God made them male and female. And he did that for a reason. That was his intent and that's what he wanted from us. And we see it played out here. It says to leave and cleave once again. And the two flesh become one. In Ephesians 5 and verse 31, it says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Over and over and over again, we see that you're to leave. You know, when we looked at that first diagram, when it talks about, when it, we look in and it shows from children becoming adults and going into a marriage, those are different phases in life. And we should overcome that and move through those phases in life rather than lingering and and having those apron strings as we hear it commonly called that we don't give up those uh, actions as children. We should become adults and we should cleave to our spouses. Intimacy was also intended to be a part of marriages. In Hebrews 13 and 4, it says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. In 1 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 4, it says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also to the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So we see here that intimacy was meant to be played out in this way. You know, we have that fleshly side to our bodies, and that that is there. You know, that's not a subject I'm comfortable talking with. If you've got questions, you can call Ty Fleming. I'm sure he has those answers, and he's more than willing to share those with you. But suffice it to say that that was meant to be a part of the marriage. And marriage was intended to have that arrangement. And the focus of that drive should be on your spouse. Marriage is a commitment, not a feeling. And I think this is a very important point. Because so many things in this life now are driven toward what, what makes us happy. You know, what makes us smile? What makes us have butterflies in our stomach? And what makes our, our heart beat faster? so much emphasis placed on those things and we've allowed that to become that that is what marriage is about the marriage is about those things and the marriage is about the ceremony and the marriage is about all the wonderful flowers and lights and candles that's not what the marriage is about and we've allowed those things to creep in and so we want to talk about that for just a little bit at this time In Titus 2 and verse 4, it says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, and to love their children. You know, those things that we just talked about, those are things that just happen. You know, if you're out there and you see some some girl, the guys in the back know what I'm talking about. They see some girl, all of a sudden, oh, they get all of these feelings and everything's great. This says 
that the older are to teach the younger to love their husbands. Why would they have to teach something that just happens? Because there's more to it than that. Marriage is a commitment. It doesn't just happen, it's a choice. And all of the things that affect us and all the pressures that come in on marriage have to come down to more than just a feeling we have in our stomach. It has to be about more than one day where everybody came together and saw how beautiful everything was and the two people stood at the front. You know, that day comes and goes. We take pictures to remember that day. But that day's gone. And now we're left to deal with the ugliness of life and the things that we encounter. And we're going to decide, are we going to deal with that as spouses, as husbands, as wives? Or are we going to think about all the feelings that we had in our stomach that are missing now, that aren't there anymore, that only happened on that one day when we were in that ceremony? That day won't get us through those times. We all know this life has things in, in, that are to come. We all know that there are unpleasant things that we have to deal with. And we can't do that if all we care about is the feelings that we have and, and the happiness that we're worried about. And the first chance that we come to, that we meet adversity in our marriage, it'll take commitment, not just a feeling to make it through those things. In Ephesians 5 and verse 33, it says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, you don't find many men that hate themselves, do you? You don't typically see that. You know, if they, take, they have enough about themselves to go and find a wife and to, and to get married, they don't usually have that feeling that they just hate themselves. But this says love his wife as himself and the wife should respect or reverence her husband those are two things that should be present in a marriage they should always be present in marriage we should have the respect for one another and love one another and those things should be what guide us and that's what God would have us to do in first Timothy 5 and verse 8 it says but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So we come to another part responsibility in the marriage. We've got to be committed to these things. The man is to provide for his own house. And it says he's worse than an infidel if he doesn't. Now what do we mean by that? Does that mean that every man and every husband has to provide the newest things, the newest cars, the biggest house? Not at all. It says he's to provide. He's to go and he's to work. And that means when he wakes up in the morning, if he just feels just a little bit off, he doesn't just call it in. He goes. He pushes through those things because it's his responsibility to do that. You know, that takes commitment to be able to do that to wake every morning and to do whatever it takes to be able to provide for your family. You know, I didn't know a lot about marriage when I was younger. I didn't even uh, totally understand it. And, and I remember even when I was a little bit older, like high school and, and college, and people would ask me, oh, are you going to get married? You know, you know, when do you think you'd get married? And I, I said, I just really don't know. I, I don't understand marriage. I don't understand that. 
you know, you've got this individual and you're supposed to put them before yourself and all of these things. And it's just so foreign from what you see when you're younger. You know, the things that you do are for you. But it has to be about more than, than that if you're going to be in a godly marriage. You know, I do know there was a time when, you know, this was back in the day when college kids were poor kids and, you know, you were, you were focused on getting your education. You know, it's not necessarily that way anymore. It seems like a lot of these college kids run around with, with pockets full of money and they do pretty much what they want. But back then, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money because our money was going to, toward tuition and living and things like that. But I remember thinking, you know, if I, have, if I don't have money this today, then I just don't eat. I, you know, I skip lunch or whatever. That, that's pretty easy fix to the fact that I don't have money in my pocket. But if I'm married, I don't have that option because I'm supposed to provide for my family. And I'm not talking about a poverty situation. I never missed a meal, a meal that I didn't deserve to miss. But I'm saying it's different. There's a different level of effort. And, and we as, as males, we have and we take on that responsibility. And it's serious to us. And it should be. But we have to understand that providing for our families doesn't mean we check out on them. Under the guise that we're here to provide. And we just have all of these different toys and all of these things. And we're saying, I'm trying to take care of my family. It doesn't work that way. We can't check out on them and, and, and then just say, well, it's because of the purpose that we're taking care and providing for our families. There has to be more to it than that. You know, I believe this passage, and I think God is very serious about it, that we should provide but too many times we see that husbands sacrifice their families in the name of providing. And we've seen that. I'm sure we've all seen it at one time or another. And it's very sad. It's very heartbreaking when we see that. But it does happen. You know, there are times also when wives have unrealistic expectations. We see that too. And we see individuals that go out and they try to provide for their families. But it just seems like nothing's ever good enough. They've got to have more. They want the bigger house. They want the fancier car, just like some of these men do. And that is a recipe for disaster as well. So the idea is be content. Be content with the things that you have. That doesn't mean you don't strive to do better. You know, if we were all content with some place to live and, and food on the table, we'd all live just like we did when, when we were younger. We do strive to do better. We do strive to provide other things for our families. But it can't be our number one purpose. It cannot be our number one purpose or we're headed for disaster. Neither of these scenarios is a problem if we put Christ first. Because we know we have obligations other than just providing. And we'll, we will uh, have a better marriage by focusing on those other things. Not that this isn't important. I think it's extremely important. But there are other things that are more important. In Ephesians 5 and verse 25, we read, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, Christ gave us an example of commitment, didn't he? He was committed. You know, we all had a problem with sin. 
And he took care of that for us. And he was committed to that. And we should be committed to our marriages. And we should love him like we love Christ and the way Christ loved the church. You know, I was asked once if I thought this was a literal passage. You know, Christ gave himself for the church. Are we willing to give ourselves for our wives? And I, I, think, I think there is a, an expectation there that our wives should come first. And if it takes us sacrificing for our wife, then that's what we need to do. You know, many, we're probably never going to be faced with that situation. But there are other smaller things that are just as important. And it's important for us to make sacrifices for our wives. That doesn't mean we should be reckless and see everything in terms of life and death. I don't, I don't believe that. But in a scenario where it were one or the other, that's the kind of love and commitment we should, we should have the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So let's talk a short time for, about the beauty of marriage. There are a lot of things that are beautiful about marriage. There really are. The fact that two people can come together, and we see examples of that. We probably all know people that we look at them and we look at their marriage and we think they've got it figured out. That's a beautiful thing. In Proverbs 12 and 4 it says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is, a, is rottenness in his bones. You know, those are two very, very polarized things. She can be a crown to her husband or rottenness in his bones. And of course, certainly all of us strive for the former, the first one, not the second one. We strive for a woman that can be a crown to her husband. And I think many times they are. Our wives can be that. They can fulfill that. But we have a part in that too. And we need to be deserving of it. You know, when we, when we talked about those examples of people that we know that have marriages that we look at and, and we respect that and we see that as something that's desirable... That's exactly what this is talking about. When they see that wife that provides her for her husband, they see that husband that provides for the wife. And it's a beautiful thing. In Proverbs 18, verse 22, it says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor with the Lord. You know, God intended us to seek marriage. He intended that for me to be a part of our lives. And it says, when we find that wife, we obtaineth favor with the Lord as well. So that's something he intended for us. That's something he wanted us to have. And we attaineth favor with the Lord when we do that. In Proverbs 19 and 14, it says, House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. You know, all of those things that we talk about, the riches, the all of those things, the houses, the lands, whatever, it says those are an inheritance from fathers. But the wife, the prudent wife... Is from the Lord. You know, that, that sounds like a very, very valuable thing, doesn't it? Because we think in terms of, man, you know, if I could just find that rich uncle, I'd be set. We may have something very much, much more valuable than that inheritance sitting right in front of us. And we have to realize that and recognize it for what it is, that it's from the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, it says, Charity suffereth long. We talked about the beauty of marriage, and this is what, what we hear a lot of times when we go to weddings. This passage doesn't necessarily deal with weddings, but certainly it's a good picture of how love should be. In third, uh, verses 4 through 8, it says, Charity 
suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And we understand in this passage, when it says charity there, it's talking about love. The love that we should have for one another in a marriage. You know, we're deserving of those things. And some people go into marriages and they feel like they don't deserve that. But we understand from this passage, anytime we have involvement with another person, I mean, these are the things that we should have an expectation for. And we need to understand that. And it can be a good thing in our lives if we'll allow that to happen. We've seen many times when marriages split up, whether it's one-sided or possibly by both people, and these things are absent. You know, the selfishness of one side can totally destroy this. And we need to understand that and recognize that when we see we're not, when we're not behaving in this way, when that, that love is not coming from us, we need to make changes. You know, you can't always change your partner. You can't always change the behavior of, the, of other people. And too many times that results in the splitting of marriages. But we have to look at ourselves and see that these things are a part of our lives. And if they're not, we need to change that. And it doesn't matter which side is at fault. We need to do what we can to make that a part of our lives. While the beauty of marriage typically reflects these things, broken marriages don't have them as part of the relationship. Or if they did at one time, they were violated at some point. You know, when we violate trust in our spouse... Many times that just can't be overcome. And when we look at these things here, these things need to be a part of our life. They need to be ingrained in us that, that this is how we react. And I'm, I'm not saying that any of us can ever be perfect. There are going to be those ugly times in our marriages where we just don't live up to these things. But those should be isolated instances, not, not the way that we live. So what about the roles we're supposed to take in this marriage? We'll talk about the roles of the man beginning in Ephesians 5 and verse 28. It says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And there again, we don't, as men, we don't hate ourselves. We need to love our wives. You may have to sit through some movies you don't like and eat some restaurants you don't prefer. That may be part of it. That's a very small part of it, but that may happen, and that's okay. Typically, if we're doing it with the right person, it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> it has a way of being that way. But we should be willing to sacrifice a few things, and that, that certainly should be a part of the marriage, sacrificing for one another. But you do these things along with all the other responsibilities we have because in loving our wives, it only serves to come back to us. You know, I think you'll find if you, you show love towards your wife, it gets returned in a lot of ways. And we need to understand that. And it, I think that can help us in knowing that. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 it says, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, 
that your prayers be not hindered. You know, sometimes people get hung up on that weaker vessel part. And I hope this morning that we're, we're here with an open heart and, and willing to learn from God's word. Because when it talks about that, that weaker vessel, that means we just we understand and like different things. You know, women are different from men. And I, I realize there's a push right now to convince you differently that there's no difference between men and women. And I think we all know there's a lot of difference between men and women. And that's, that's all this is saying. There are differences between the two. And men need to recognize that. Because we're heirs together. We have that common goal. That common goal of the grace of life as it puts it here. And we have to sacrifice for one another. And that means that women, you treat men differently than you would other women. Because they're just not going to react to that very well. But men, you need to understand, women are different too. And we have to treat them differently than we would our buddies. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3 it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now we're getting to the points of contention, aren't we? These are the points that people typically don't want to hear. And you know that's sad because it's, this is not a threat toward anybody. It's, it's not meant to be demeaning toward anybody. These are the roles that were established by God. These are the things that he wants. And I don't find anything in the scripture where it says, men, you need to lord over your wives and make sure they completely understand that you're in charge because that makes you more important. I just can't find it. I don't, I don't see that. You know, if we're looking at this with open hearts in the way that we should, we need to be looking at ways how we can improve our marriages. And that, that approach typically doesn't work in business or anything else. It doesn't work in our relationships out in the community. And it won't work in your marriage either. You know, I heard my dad say one time when, when he gave a lesson on this when I was a kid, and I, I still remember it to this day. He said, you know, some, some men approach this and they say, you're nothing and I'm everything. Well, congratulations, you're the boss of nothing. It basically is what that says. You don't want that. That's not what we want in our marriages. We should strive to build each other up. You know, If you're going to say that's my wife, then you want her to be the very best she can be because your wife, just like an employee or anything else, is a reflection of you. And we want to improve that. We want to improve how we look at our spouses. And that should be important to us. And we should be able, willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And if we keep these roles that God intended and do them properly, then it will lead to strong, a stronger marriage. As you see here, going by 1 Corinthians 11 and 3, this is typically kind of what this resembles. God is the head of Christ, is the head of the husband, is the head of the wife, is the head of the children. You know, we're all accountable to someone. Just because I'm the husband doesn't mean I don't have accountability. But unfortunately, we allow the, the world to talk us into the fact that, oh, that's such a demeaning thing, and you just shouldn't, shouldn't bow down to that, and you shouldn't have any part with that. And so all of this diagram here that we've read about in 1 Corinthians gets, all, gets completely wrecked. 
And we completely rearrange the idea of the marriage. And we can't figure out why marriages don't work a lot of times. It's over 50% divorce rate in America. You know, I don't remember what the numbers are, but when you look at countries where they had arranged marriages, uh, divorce was nearly none. There was commitment there. And somewhere along the way, we, we lost our way. And we allowed those things to come in. And we decided that our wants and our needs were more important than what God's design was. And it just hasn't worked. We've been told it's, well, it's what everybody should desire is to be in charge or to play the role that was given to someone else and that's going to make us happy. But in some way, it just doesn't. It just doesn't make us happy. And so, as we continue on, we, we read about the roles of the woman. In 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8, it says, But if any provide not for his home. We've already read that. Ephesians 5 and 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husbands are the head of the wife of the church and is the savior of the body. I'm off here for some reason. No, I'm right. Keeping with the same line of thinking on, on responsibility, you know, a man can't make a woman submit. Can't be done. I can't go to my wife and say, you're going to submit. There are ways she can deal with that, you know. She may take a frying pan to my head, but if she decides she's not going to submit, there's really not a lot I can do about that. You know, it has to be a choice. And we have to go about looking at these, these roles and these responsibilities from from the standpoint of what God wants in our lives. You know, we come here every Sunday. We talk about, what, I want in my life what God wants for me. Well, this is something that God wants from you. And the roles that he's given me is something that he wants from me. And we have to remember that and strive to fulfill those roles. A woman, it has to be her decision. And it has to be a decision made by her. And she'll be re responsible for the decision that she makes. In Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as become with holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know, more responsibilities for both young and old women. I should say older women. You know, I, I think in some ways we've gotten away from that, and I, I think it's an injustice to ourselves, you know, that the, that the older would teach the younger. And, I, and I'm not saying you, you guys aren't fulfilling that, but I, I am saying that's happening out in the world, that women are just allowed, sent out on their own, and they're never really taught anything. They're not taught how to, how to love their husbands, as, as it says here. They're not told how to take care of their children. They're, there's a lot of people in this world that are just lost because they've not been given any direction. And I think that's one place that, that should be, have a presence in our lives that the aged women teach the younger. Because it's, it, there's a great void there in a lot of what we see out in the world that can be fulfilled once again by just fulfilling the role that was given. Let's look at an example where a woman fulfilled every one of her responsibilities. Because what, what would that look like? 
You know, if we listen to the world, if we have a woman that fulfills these roles and fulfills these responsibilities, we're just going to see an individual that's just beaten down. An individual that just has been demeaned and has been, is it rotten? And has no value is what we're led to believe if they fulfill these responsibilities. But I think you'll see by today's standards a successful woman in what we're about to read. About to read. In Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 17, it says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that she shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like a merchant ship. She bringeth forth her food from afar. She riseth. Also, while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens, she considereth a field, and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength, and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that the merchandise is good. Her candle goeth out not by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, with her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth the girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of our household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children rise, arise up, and, her, and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruits of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. How could anyone say that this woman is not a success? It doesn't matter what standards you use. Whether you use worldly standards, the standards that we believe that we live by, this is a successful woman, and anybody would say so. And she fulfills these roles. You know, I've heard this passage read a lot at funerals on occasion. Do we read this because her roles are demeaning? Not at all. Not at all. We read the passage because it's the highest honor we could give a godly woman seeking to serve God. We honor her through reading these passages because we feel that she lives up to those responsibilities. Yet some might say she's oppressed and downtrodden when they read these things. Not true at all. Not true at all. But if you set this as, as your goal and forget the naysayers, you'll meet the responsibility God's placed on you. And you'll do that, and you'll shine, and you'll be blessed for it. And you won't be worried about being a lesser anything. Because this passage shows you that when done correctly, these roles actually elevate you in the eyes of others. And it's not something that you're downtrodden for doing. It's something that people look at and they respect. And I hope when we think about that, when we hope... Think about the roles and think about the attack that's on them these days. That, yeah, they're making it into something that it's not. Because it was never meant to be something that someone was downtrodden or a lesser person for, be, for doing. 
It was the, the, the uh, model that God had intended all along. So we, I think we would be a failure if we didn't discuss the need for mutual love and respect in our, in our marriages. You know, it's something that should be there. We're not just co-workers. We're not just friends. We're married. And when you're married, you both have something at stake in that, and you should both contribute to that. And love and respect is one of the, the, the very least things that we can do in those, that situation. I think I flipped too many pages. I'm, I'm all out of order for some reason. Sorry about that. Give me one second. I know we covered this verse before. Ephesians 5 and verse 33. Sorry about that. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And wife to see that she reverence her husband. Now I want to make a point here. I go all the way back to college for this one. Had a class that I hated. Didn't want to go. Thought it was stupid. Didn't want to be there. But I came away looking at a few things that have actually come, come to be useful in life. One of the biggest things required if we want to obtain a godly marriage, it, it will be love and respect for one another. And it has to be a two-way street. It just does. That's just the way it works. You know, in this, this, this class in college, it talked about the very things contained in this passage. It made sense then, and I came to realize it was a biblical concept. Men want respect, and women want love. And if you think about that, that's exactly what this verse is saying. Nevertheless, every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence or highly respect her husband. That's a biblical concept, and they're teaching it. And they taught, I learned it in college. Never realized it was a biblical concept. But keep in mind, while each individual may prioritize love and respect differently, both should be present. Just because I love my wife doesn't mean she's supposed, supposed to be content with just that. I love her, but I don't respect her. I don't respect her feelings. I don't respect anything about her, but I love her. That doesn't make sense, does it? I should respect her as well, and I should demand respect from others when they look at my wife. And as for me, she can't just say, well, I respect him, but I don't really, I don't really love him. That doesn't work either. The two go hand in hand. And while men may prioritize respect over love and women may respect, prioritize love over respect, the two of those should be present from each individual, and that should be a part of our marriage. And when we do that, it's going to help, and it's going to make it a stronger marriage. It's going to be a godly marriage the way he intended. And I hope that wasn't too confusing, especially since I had to go look up the verse. But I think it's a concept that even the world understands, that love and respect should be a part of our marriages. Now, what about objections to these roles? Well, you know, we, we read through the roles, and, 
You know, there are some men that just don't want to go out and work and don't want to provide for their families. There's some women that just think that they're supposed to have a career and for, forget about their families. You know, those aren't the rules that we were given. What about the objections to these rules? You know, more and more society objects to them, don't they? They think we've got it all wrong, and God, God just didn't understand, you know, the things that, that happen in our current time. They present that it's somehow oppressive or, or misogynistic, or, misogynistic or any of the other words that are popular these days. You know, what about that? They blame the patriarchy for all their woes, all while that movement has done everything they can to end marriage the way God intended. These are the things we're facing when we think about these roles. You know, we're told moving away from outdated godly principles will bring us health, wealth, and happiness. If we can just do the things that they, that they think are, are a good idea. Yet the farther society moves from God, the worse off we've become. It's presented that if we can just further from those, get further from those old ways, then we can achieve the happiness that we desire. And we keep moving further and further away. But it's not giving us those things that it was supposed to give us. And I, I say that as a society, not, not as a church or individuals. Those ideas failed society in the beginning when we first started hearing them, didn't they? And they've been failing us ever since. If that were true, all the problems we see should be fixed by now. Because since the 60s, an attack has been on marriage and it has been launched against marriage like nothing we've ever seen. Tear down the family, you tear down society. And it's been an attack that's been coming ever since then. So in that amount of time, we should be living in some perfect society according to them. Because we've moved further and further away from godly principles that guide our marriages. That hasn't happened, has it? And that should tell us that moving in that direction and continue to moving in that direction is not going to fix the problems that we have. We have to return to the principles that God gave us if we're to continue and if we're going to have those godly marriages that he intended us for, for us to have and that we, each of us want. God's made it clear what he wants from us as individuals. And he's given us responsibilities in the, in the areas he desires. And his design provides for us a way to truly have a strong marriage. It's, the choice is ours. Each of us decides. Do we want to live the way God has it, would have us to live and have a strong marriage or do we want to allow all these other things to encroach on that and to change on that so that our marriages aren't as strong as they could be? So some things I hope we get this morning. If you want a strong marriage, implement these roles. Young men, when you seek a girlfriend, do you look for someone like the virtuous woman that we read about? A woman that upholds those roles and lives by those roles? And does what she can to further and, and be, the betterment of her family? Or are we looking for someone with a good social media presence? Do they post the right pictures? Do they go to the right places? Do they eat the right foods? Is that what we're looking for? Young women seeking a boyfriend, do you look for someone who has the traits of a loving husband and good father? Or is it all about being the big man on campus? The popular guy in school? 
The one that all the girls want to date. Is that what we're truly looking for? Or do you want somebody that's going to be a strong husband for you? That's going to love your kids? That's going to want to have a life with you? And that's going to want to do everything that he can to provide for you? Too many times we look in the wrong areas. And we look in the wrong places for what we think that we want. We may state that we want, but were we actually looking in the right place to achieve it? And finally, for everyone seeking to serve God and have the, that godly marriage, make it a Christ-centered relationship. Make sure that that's present in your life and in your marriage. Because that's what's going to get you through those rough days. You know, sometimes marriage isn't easy. And it has to be about more than just our wants. Our wants and what we feel like our needs are. It has to be about more than that because that won't get us through. You know, sometimes we're harder to love than other times. And we have to make sure that we can make it through. And we need somebody by our side that can go through those times. And it's not just looking for the next party or the next event that we can post on social media. That's not why we're here. And that's not something that's going to help us further our cause and, and our service to God. You know, if it's a Christ-centered marriage, then both individuals have the same goals, to serve God and fulfill their responsibilities. And that's why we're here. We're joint heirs, as it said before. We're both striving for the same thing, and both of us are doing everything we can to make that happen. That's the life that you want, and that's the life that we need if we're to have a godly marriage. I hope you'll find something useful that we studied this morning. You know, this is, this is not an easy subject for, I, I'm going to guess this wouldn't be an easy subject for any of us up here because when you're reading it through this, a lot of what you see is your failures. You know, you, you see your failures when you're studying these things. But I hope I've been able to bring out the things that God would want from us. And not necessarily that I've led by example on a lot of these things, but hopefully you see what God intends for each individual in, in, in the audience this morning. We haven't spoken on the first principles, but if there's anybody here that would like to be buried in baptism and name the name of Christ, we want to help you with that. That's the first and foremost thing in your life right now. That is the most important thing that you can do. If you want to start your walk with Christ, we stand ready to help you. If you feel like you've been struggling in some area of your life and you need the prayers of the church, we want to help you with that. We want to pray with you and we want to pray Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.